Good morning, Steve Dale's Pet World on WGN. And yes, there are places where you should never go, ever, to get a pet. Then where do you get a pet? We'll talk with Debbie Martin about that. Tracy Elliott is the president of the Anti-Cruelty Society of Chicago, and it's an event you've been doing for a very long, long, long time called Bark in the Park, which I love because for, for two reasons. First of all, how can you not get a dog fix? You know, I mean, there are, I don't know how many hundreds and hundreds of dogs that are out there along the Chicago lakefront. The second thing is they and their people are walking to benefit anti-cruelty. Uh, you've been doing this for a while, as I said, correct? That is right, Steve. Thank you very much for, for having me on. I appreciate it. This will be the 29th year for Bark. Um, so we call it the oldest dog park, dog party, rather, in Chicago, but also the most fun. And you're right. Uh, hundreds of dogs show up with their people. Um, and of course, everybody's more interested in the dogs than the people. But it is a great time for your dog and a great time for you. And you don't have to have a dog to come. If you are dogless or like me, you're you're working, so you can't bring your dogs. There are plenty of other dogs for you to play with. You know, I, I love what you did one year, and I don't remember how many years ago it was. it was. It was still called Bark in the Park, but there was a little section where you could bring photos of your cat, and people oh, people yes. did that. that you know, I, I'm going to pass that on to, to our event staff, because uh, that's a great idea. We don't like to leave the kitties out, but of course, you know, cats really would prefer to party at home alone. Um, <laughs> I think, yes. And not to be uh, hundreds of them in a park. That might not work out so well, but that's a great idea. We will, I'll pass that along. And, and we'll talk about what the event is, but first of all, I want to talk about what's most important. This is your largest, to my knowledge, your largest fundraiser of the year. And, yes, and, by far. Yeah, so tell everyone where the money goes and how much money it cost you because it really this is not i think you should be charging more it's not right. an expensive endeavor right 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 well i'm gonna take that last point first you know fundraisers can sometimes be expensive um because we want to raise a lot of money and that uh sort of automatically cuts out uh folks who either don't have the kind of money to spend on a 500 dollars gala or don't want to do that. This event is designed specifically so that every dog lover, every animal lover in Chicago can participate. It is very affordable at $50 uh, a ticket. Um, And that is a guest ticket. You could also become a fundraiser and that's commit to at least raising $50. Um, And if you raise more than $50, that's great. But if you don't raise $50, we will just, you'll just contribute that yourself. But, um, so we kind of split it up this year between people who will help us raise funds because that's actually how this works. We don't make enough money on just ticket sales. We, we make our money by individuals asking their friends and their relatives and their coworkers to support, um, animal wellness and building a more humane Chicago by giving them a dollar or five dollars or ten dollars. So there's all kinds of ways to participate, but um yeah, the the most expensive situation that you would have is you would uh would buy a fifty dollar guest pass and uh so it's open to everyone. But money goes for all of our operations and 
everyone is always surprised when they visit us and get a tour um, at all the things we do that, that folks don't know about. So let me just take a real quick minute and let you know what that is. Of course, our core mission is to save homeless animals, animals that have been surrendered to us, animals that are in the community and need to be um, rehomed. And that process includes bringing them in, um, medically and behaviorally evaluating them, giving them the rehabilitation that they need, whether it's medical or behavioral, and then finding a new home for them with a new family. And that's the core, and that will always be our core. And we adopt out over 4,000 animals every year. Um, that's dogs, cats, rabbits, guinea pigs, uh, fancy rats, mice, um, frankly, any species that is brought to us, um, even occasionally snakes and lizards and things like that. We had a pig this year who was absolutely adorable. And uh, <laughs> we, found a, we found a rescue for her because um, there's a lot, not a lot of demand for pigs in the city, but... We so find her a great place. it's really not true, the rumor I heard, that you're going What's to start that? another benefit called Oink in the Park? <laughs> well, we could if, if more pigs start coming in. <laughs> this pig was so cute, I think she would have been a great um, feature. She just was, she was adorable and really, uh, well, she was piggy, um, all the cute features of, features of pigs. But that's, that's the core, and that's what we spend the most money on, because that includes medical, behavioral, housing, obviously, daily food, daily enrichment, um, you know, taking care of the animal while they're here. We call that best care. We are committed and have committed ourselves to providing the best care, the highest standards of care in the entire country for any animal from the day they come to us until the day that they uh, leave this, this shelter. But we are going beyond that now. We are also providing the same kind of care in communities where there are no veterinary practices, there are no, there are no uh, 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 pet food stores, um, and people have a very difficult time, even if there are vet practices, affording vet care because it's gotten very expensive. But these people love their animals, and they need their animals um, in communities that have been disinvested for years and years on the south and west sides and other places. Well, you know, I... We are are moving into those spaces to help those folks care for their animals as well. Yeah, I didn't mean to step on your words there. You know I did uh, initiate a visit to Anti-Cruelty Society uh, for both Paul Vallis and also our mayor, uh, Brandon Johnson. And I I know uh, Brandon Johnson, I've talked to him about this, is really interested in those communities you mention and the importance of providing veterinary care. And yes, yes, there are food deserts, as has been discussed on the human side, but the same is true on the pet side. There aren't aren't many pet stores in a lot of these places. That's right. Um, And uh, access to pet food, obviously, is in grocery stores for those folks, but there aren't even in some of these areas, easy, easily uh, um, uh, transported to grocery stores. Or right. Grocery stores are easy to get to. So we also, of course, participate in pet pantries and the drive-up uh, uh, food pantry that uh, Alderman Beal does down in his ward every month. Um, and so we're, we're also providing nutrition for animals as well. Since the beginning of the pandemic, Steve, we have distributed more than a million pounds of food. Um, I believe that's around 200,000 pet meals, and that is ongoing every single day and uh, in the Roseland community every month that they're they're drive-through 
uh, pantries. And we're only touching on on many of the things, including educational programs. I know you have staff that go into schools and teach humane education. And and the list goes on and on. I want to also, uh, so I want to talk about what's also on that list, as well as what happens at Bark in the Park. If you've not been to this event, we'll talk about more when we come back. He is the president of the Anti-Cruelty Society of Chicago. How does it feel to be a president, Tracy Elliott? Well, you know, very presidential. Um, <laughs> uh, but my staff is very tired of playing Hail to the Chief every time I walk into the room. <laughs> is that what happens? Yeah. I thought it was who let the dogs out, perhaps. Who I don't, let the dogs out, yeah. That would be so, better. Uh, you know, would be so, far more appropriate. So when is Bark in the Park? Where is Bark in the Park? And kind of set the scene for us for those who haven't been there. I will. It's Saturday, May 20th from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. at the Stadium Green at Soldier Field, right there on the lake. We've had it there for a number of years. And it's a rain or shine. So uh, thousands of animal lovers and their dogs will spend the entire morning from from 8 to 1 uh, participating in an optional optional two-mile walk along the lake. Um, there are also, there's going to be music, there's going to be an open-air, listen to this, Steve, Barkett Place. Um, I didn't think of that. With various dog-friendly vendors, uh, there's going to be dog demonstrations, training demonstrations, there's going to be an agility course, there's pet-friendly arts and crafts, keepsakes, and free food and drink, um, and uh, including free food for the dogs. Yeah, it's and it's a beautiful event too. So as you point out, you don't have to do the uh, what is it two mile? I think you said walk a- along the lake. Correct. Correct. In a way, it doesn't <laughs> seem. I'm surprised you said two miles. I thought it was a mile always. You know, because it's such a you don't. First of all, you're with your dog and right or dogs and lots of right. other dogs as well. But bring your phone. Not that most people don't go everywhere with their phone anyway, but you right. want to take pictures along the way because this is a great, a great view of Chicago all along the way. It is. We also have a hashtag Bark2023, and we're encouraging people to get in the spirit by um, uh, sharing their best Bark pup pics, um, <laughs> either from the past or uh, at, that, at that time uh, with Hashtag Bark 2023. So what we've, what we've tried to do is we've tried to design it so that it is fun for any participant, including the dogs, um, children, uh, adults, people who like to walk, people who'd rather sit and listen to music or play with dogs, uh, and make it a really, really good time for dogs, because that's important, too. Yeah, and as you point out, lots of vendors there with both dog products and, to some extent, people products, too, including munchies for us for lunch, uh, for humans, as well as as for dogs. So, uh, you know, uh, I've seen you, I know you in in person. You don't look 125. Well, you know, I've uh, uh, moisturizer. I use it every day very faithfully, and, you know, I look... I look less than half my age, not, not even 75. You do look good, but yeah. the Anti-Cruelty Society looks even better, and what I'm referring to is the 125th anniversary right around the corner. That's right. Um, March of next year is the 125th year this organization has been uh, in existence, and, you know, just that alone is something to celebrate. Um, you think of 
storied Chicago institutions like Hall House or you know, Sears and Roebuck, Montgomery Ward. I know Sears is still in business, but um, lots of other businesses and not-for-profit organizations, you know, they haven't lasted this long. Um, we have lasted this long because, number one, um, we have been willing to uh, make adjustments that are necessary in our approach and our mission to meet community needs. started out as an organization that was trying to promote and provide better care for the 50 or so thousand horses on the streets of Chicago at that time because horses conveyed everything, right? Uh, shortly after that, the automobile was invented and came about. Not Horses were luckily no longer tortured um, to be used for every kind of conveyance. So companion animals then became a problem because Chicago was growing at a huge pace at that point. This was the fastest growth period in the history of the city, and all of a sudden there were stray dogs and, um, and other kind of animal needs. So the organization became a shelter and also um, opened the very first what they called at the time charity vet clinic in about 1937, I think, to make hmm. sure that folks who could not necessarily afford good vet care had it available to them. And we also then began, um, at least we know in the city, but one of the earliest education programs in schools in the country, also in the 1930s, I believe. I'm sorry, the vet care was in the 50s, the the, uh, the education programs in the 30s. Um, so we have been changing and growing and adjusting um, our approach based on what the community needs us to do. And that's really the secret of surviving 125 years. Well, and you're still needed. Uh, you, you mentioned this a, a bit. About how many animals uh, end up at anti-cruelty society? And talk a little about how in the past couple of years that's changed. So here's the, here's the good news that... Shelters like yourself, not only in Chicago, but all over the country, said as the pandemic hit, help! And and yes. pe- people did. I mean, uh, yes, ad- did. adoptions were like, the, the shelters were cleared all over, not, right. I, I mentioned all over the country, actually, in many places around the world. People That's did right. step up, but now it seems a combination of factors are occurring, and you can comment on this. For one thing, everyone who wanted a pet, sort of got a pet, and and secondly, housing issues okay. that are forcing all sorts of people to relinquish animals as well. Can you comment about all of that kind of playing together and what the shelter scene looks like now in Chicago? I will. So we um, bring in somewhere around 6,000 animals a year of all kinds of species. We also, of course, we do something now that hasn't been done before. When someone comes to surrender an animal, we we ask them about what's going on and, you know, very empathetically say, is there any way you could keep this animal if we could provide the resources? So we're also diverting a lot of shelter uh, intake that we didn't used to, and that's such a win-win, right? Yes. person who is suffering in some way, there's something going on in their life, they need this animal more than ever, but they can't keep it. And so we're now providing services, ongoing services, so that they can keep their animal. Nevertheless, we're still getting in around 6,000. And interesting, before the pandemic, we were beginning to think in the sheltering business, at least up, up north here and in large cities, what are we, what are we going to do because there's so few stray and homeless animals? It's going down, thankfully. We're all doing a good job, right? Spay and neuter, and you, Steve, are one of the people who has helped change the culture, 
um, about the value of animals and the fact that, you know, they need care. So we saw our future as adoption, adoptable animals coming in, going down. How are we going to adjust? And that was the talk at conferences all over the country, and it was, you know, an interesting challenge. We've done our job so well. How can we help animals in a different way? Then the pandemic hit, and you are right. People responded with money, with fostering. We had amazing response to foster animals and with adoptions. So we had fewer animals in the shelter. We had animals throughout the entire pandemic, but we had fewer fewer than, than ever. Um, and that was a great thing. But now post-pandemic, all over the country, shelters are seeing intake is rising and adoption outcomes are falling. Wow. Uh, I'm interested. There 7% I- gap. That gap is now growing. And so all over the country, we are challenged with um, having, you know, full capacity. And we don't know why. We can speculate. There's no studies going on to try to figure this out. But you can speculate that, yes, there were a lot of people who got animals during the pandemic. And if you think about it, like the animal cycle, you know, when they're going to stay in your home for 8 to 10 to 12 years, hopefully more, and then you may be in the market, so to speak, for another adoptable animal. Well, a lot of people in, you know, 2020 and 2021 adopt animals. Thankfully, they're not going to be in the market for a while. An interesting and real conversation, which we continue on WGN. So there you are walking down the street and you happen to bump into Dr. Natalie Marks. You know how to get her really excited? Say, leptospirosis. Right then, she'll drop everything and present a two-hour PowerPoint on the topic. She gets so excited about it. You know, and it's important, especially if you live near or around Chicago. She'll explain why that's the case next week. Also, we are talking everything cats with Tabitha Casera. I mean, really, how to train cats to do things. Why would you ever want to do that? And how to train them not to do things, for example... If you don't want them on your kitchen counters, how do you communicate that in a way in which the cat will actually understand? That's next week right here, Steve Dale's Pet World on WGN. Tracy Elliott is the president of the Anti-Cruelty Society, and we were talking, Tracy, about how great news shelters all over Chicago, all over the Chicago area, all over Illinois, all over the country, to some extent, all over the world, when the pandemic hit, said, help, because you had no way to know what was coming next, whether your staff and volunteers could come in to feed the animals, walk the dogs, changed out the litter boxes. You had no clue. And people did step up. And as a result of a combination of factors that we were talking a little about, and you'll explain, right now we're at a very different place the shelters right. are filling up again. Uh, That's right. wh- why do you think that is, and how does housing play into this? Housing is a huge factor, Steve, as you know. Um, we had been worried about a great eviction crisis, right? And then during the pandemic, evictions were, were you know, um, paused by law. And those uh, restrictions have come off, and we are, in fact, seeing tremendous uh, numbers of evictions, and people have a very difficult time finding pet-friendly housing. Um, our really, really great public shelter here, Chicago uh, uh, Animal Care and Control, they are seeing 
strays go out of control. Um, and we are assuming that to some degree that's because people have no alternative and they are just freeing their animal out on the streets and, and of course, they're being picked up by animal control in huge numbers. Uh, so it's housing. Uh, it's just economic uncertainty uh, for you know for, for folks who maybe aren't willing to make that kind of a commitment right now because they don't know their circumstances. You know, uh, in general, the pandemic just messed everybody's it messed us up as a country. Our you know, in terms of <laughs> mental health, in terms of feeling stable and things of that nature, and it really affected this business as well, this enterprise. And we don't exactly know why. We just know that. We are full of dogs, large dogs in particular, and so are our partners here in Chicago, and so are shelters all over the country. The specifics of the of the problem might be different in California than it is here. They may be full of chihuahuas, and we're full of you know big blocky head, what we call Chicago dogs. But nevertheless, we're all suffering from the same thing. Hmm. Um, trying to figure out how in the world to get work our way out of this problem and get people back to adopting and be more creative about it. So you, you said something. We, uh, you said something earlier that that kind of disturbed me, and maybe I misunderstood you. You said that people that are adopting are not necessarily keeping those animals. Did I miss? I may have misunderstood you. Yes, I didn't mean that as much as there are an, there are folks in the community whose um, economic fortunes are really bad. They're losing their home, uh, and they can't find replacement pet friendly housing. So we're just speculating that that's one of the reasons that we're seeing strays in the city uh, go up so much, particularly in economically disadvantaged areas of the city. Um, we are we do not have a particularly higher return rate than we have generally. A little bit higher. It's higher for big dogs than it has been on average, but it's not. That's not a crisis. That's not part of the crisis. The crisis is really that fewer and fewer people are adopting right now. If we had our normal adoption volume, we would be fine, um, but uh, it's it's really a problem at this point. And re- regardless of the reasons why, which we can't verify, we can only guess, um, we know that we have a responsibility to try to work our way out of this. Is unequitable housing, you mentioned housing, but mm-hmm. unequitable, so if you are in certain neighborhoods in Chicago, not only are those apartment buildings that are being built, oftentimes new construction, that's right. Not only are they pet friendly, uh, yep. but they have amenities for the pets. So that's they right. have they have uh, dog washes, they have dog parks, right. and all these other things that are wonderful. That's right. Now the downside is that they charge for that, but these are right. people that can afford it, and pets that's are right. members of the family. But in other communities in Chicago. Not only don't you see that, they don't even allow animals. That's right. Um, That is exactly right. Uh, When I moved here a little over four years ago with two dogs, I had absolutely no problem finding multiple options for pet-friendly housing. Of course, they all, you know, charge either pet deposits or something of that nature and enhancement to rent, but, but I could afford it. But that's just not the case in places where people are least likely to afford it. So, and even pet deposits become an issue. Um, we have a de- pet deposit program. We will pay somebody's pet deposit. Really? If that is keeping, yes, uh, that is keeping you from um, finding pet-friendly housing. We'd rather we'd rather do that than have the animal end up in our care, and that's a lose-lose for everyone, right? The family loses, um, the animal loses their home. And it's more expense and time for us. We're 
more than happy to take that on when it's necessary, but we would prefer to prevent that. So we have that uh, process, and uh, not a lot of folks take advantage of it, so we're kind of blasting out there that this is available, and you could go to our website and go to resources and, and see about that. But we're trying really hard to be creative and to be supportive in any way we can. Um, and we're, we're knocking on doors, for instance, down in Roseland with trained staff who are asking folks door-to-door, do you have a pet in the house? And if so, is there anywhere we can help you? And we're finding tremendous response to that. Um, our One of our goals for our 125th anniversary is to... Um, is to establish a mobile vet clinic service down on the south side in the greater Roseland community to provide free or low-cost uh, veterinary care, spay-neuter services, uh, vaccines, flea and tick treatment, things like that. So we're really, really proactive in trying to prevent um, the situation where an animal has to come to the shelter. People tend to judge that as how could you ever give up your animal and bring them into shelter? But you have to walk a mile in someone's shoes to recognize that sometimes they do that out of love because they don't have the resources to properly care for the animal, and that's heartbreaking. And We want to make sure to prevent that every chance we get. Would you say that most people who relinquish their animal are being forced into it, so to speak, by life circumstances? Absolutely, 100%. 100%. And do you think also most- that the public doesn't understand that and also thinks there is something profoundly wrong with that animal because they are at a shelter. That's right. Um, Steve, to be perfectly honest with you, the sheltering field judged that not very long ago. You know, we were, this was a very judgmental field um, and some places it still is. We've had to adjust our attitudes to recognize that this is about life circumstances and we have to have empathy and we have to provide support, not judgment. Judgment doesn't help the animal one bit. Um, so we are, you know, changing our attitude and we're encouraging the public to as well. These are not, you know, broken, bad animals that people couldn't live with. It's that their family circumstances didn't provide adequate care um, for the animal. People are making decisions. We've heard this specifically from people about do I buy dog food or do I buy people food? Or they're giving them half of their, you know, Meals on Wheels food, things of that nature. And that's heartbreaking. Um, that's not good for, for anyone. So people do it because life intervenes in their plans, and we're trying to help and not judge. Well, how eloquent you are, how lucky we are to have Anti-Cruelty Society and other shelters like it, Uh, in Chicago, in the metro area, the good work that you do, often unsung, uh, not only from you, but I'm talking about the employees, and maybe most importantly, the volunteers, because I don't think any shelter could operate without those. Absolutely correct. This is National Volunteer Month, and uh, we already had one celebration, and are making sure our volunteers know that we love them, and we appreciate what they do, and you're right. I don't think there's a shelter in the country that could do what they're doing without volunteers. I know we couldn't. All right. So for Bark in the Park, if people want more information, I know they can go to a website, which is? Anticruelty.org. All right. Anticruelty.org. To learn more about upcoming Bark in the Park, again, the date of that, Tracy? It is May 20th uh, from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. at Stadium Green at Soldier Fields. And I'll be out there as I have been, I think, every year for the past, I don't know, 15 years. I don't 
really know, but for a long time, and it's always a pleasure to do it. Uh, Tracy, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you again for the great work you do. Anticruelty.org. For more information, Tracy Elliott, thank you so much. Yes, sir. Debbie Martin is here. She's a licensed veterinary technician and the co-author of Canine and Feline Behavior for Veterinary Technicians and Nurses, second edition with Julie Shaw. Hi, Debbie. Hi, Steve. All right. So it's that time of year. I'm, I'm looking for a puppy. Is there anywhere where absolutely, well, I'm not personally looking for a puppy, but you all know what I mean. If you're looking for a puppy, is there anywhere that you suggest we not purchase a puppy? And are there places where you say, okay, that's that's a better idea? Yeah, so I, it, you have to use a lot of caution. <laughs> this is going to be a companion in your home, part of your family. So want to make smart choices here um, and be willing to wait if you need to. For the right situation. Um, so places to avoid right off the bat, uh, someone selling them at the feed store uh, or at a pet store outside your local grocery store. In the <laughs> like, parking lot. Yeah, in the parking lot. Um, you know, some of the online situations too, especially if they're willing to meet you somewhere and you're not going to be able to see where the puppies were before you got them, where they were raised. That always is a big red flag for me. Um, so yeah, I would avoid kind of like that industry of it's a purchase as mm-hmm. versus a pet coming into your home. Places I usually look for, so either a shelter that has, um, you know, maybe a whole litter of puppies that are being fostered. And ideally, they're still with their mom. They get a lot of good information with their mom and they're with their litter mates because um, they really need some time to be with their litter mates and kind of learn to be a dog. And um and then really responsible breeders. You know, there are some amazing breeders out there that are doing justice for the dogs that they are putting out into the world, that they are looking at the physical and emotional well-being of those pets and making doing responsible breeding and also getting them started on the right foot. So they get a lot of training done for you beforehand. So those okay. are the two main places I would look for a puppy. Can we talk about house training 101? So very quickly, can you give us, okay, some bullet points as to what to do? Yeah, so I've got an acronym for it, actually. I call it PARC, but it's P-A-R-C. So we want to prevent accidents from happening through supervision and management. You want to anticipate, that's the A, when the puppy is full or empty. So basically, a young puppy does not have full sphincter control until they're at least four months of age. That means they might be peeing before they know that they even need to go pee. So <laughs> you think about human babies, they don't go from diapers to house or potty trained, house trained, <laughs> uh, potty trained until, you know, they have full control over that. Um, so anticipate. Dogs often need to go anytime they stop one behavior before they start another. So if they were sleeping, they wake up, take them out. If they were eating and they're done, take them out. If they, if they were playing and they stopped playing, take them out. So we're taking them out frequently when they're active. Um, and so that's anticipating when they need to go. And um, then, then the R is reward dogs for going in the location you want them to go. So that might be outside on grass or in a puppy litter box, or uh, I don't usually like pee pads because I think they get confused with other things on the floor. So, you know, 
appropriate eliminations get reinforced and rewarded with a small food treat, maybe a little bit of praise, and then redirect is the other R. We would redirect them if we catch them in the act of going in an inappropriate place or undesired human place. It's not inappropriate for the puppy. So that might be just saying their name in an upbeat tone, making a kissy kissy sound, reminding them, let's go outside and then redirect them to the appropriate location. I never punish a puppy for, or adult dog for going to the bathroom in front of me because then they might not want to go in front of me outside either because they might be afraid I might get angry with them. So redirect them, reward them in the appropriate location. And then the last one is C for clean. So we want to clean those areas with an enzymatic cleaner to make sure we eliminate all the odor that's there. How important is setting up that puppy for positive veterinary visits? Oh, gosh, it's really important, not only for veterinary visits, but you're going to have to do things at home with your puppy, too, like maybe clean their ears or brush them or brush their teeth. And so really starting out young with young puppies and creating positive associations where we pair them being touched with them getting good treats or getting little pieces of treats and um I really encourage people to take their puppies to the veterinary hospital for what we call fun visits, where they're just going for fun. They don't have to get any needles or pokes or prodded or anything like that. They're just going in. They get to experience the environment without having to be manipulated in any way. And they get lots of treats. They get lots of treats. When she talks mm-hmm. treats, I smile. I always mm-hmm. smile when I talk with Debbie Martin, who's the co-author of Canine and Feline Behavior for Veterinary Technicians and Nurses with Julie Shaw. Thank you so very much. Always good to talk to you, Debbie. Good to talk to you, too, Steve. Tracy Elliott, president of Anti-Cruelty Society in Chicago, called these dogs Chicago dogs. And he's right. I mean, most dogs in Chicago are, I think, the number one purebred dog, maybe French Bulldog. But most dogs actually have this blocky head, this, these broad shoulders, and we call them pit bulls. And you walk down the, the, what is it, Grand Avenue, right? And you see into the windows at Anti-Cruelty Society, the dogs, they have at least facing those windows that are available for adoption, they're mostly pit bulls. But Anti-Cruelty isn't alone. Any shelter in Chicago, that's the case. Uh, Or dogs we'd call pit bulls, because here's the reality. They are just mixed breed dogs that have a certain look about them. I mean, I've said this for years, but now, today, we do the genetic testing, and we know for a fact they are just mixed breed dogs. That's all they are. I like the term Chicago dogs, because that describes the typical dog you might see not only in Chicago, but frankly, many cities around, if not most cities, around America. Can you imagine saying these dogs as a group are all bad? At one point in time, Chicago wanted to do that. Back about at the same time, Denver did what they did, I don't know, 20-some-odd years ago or more, I think. Uh, But in in 2020, they rescinded their breed ban because they found, I mean, the whole point of it was to minimize severe dog attacks. That's what public officials thought. Let's blame the pit bull or the dog that looks like a pit bull anyway. uh, Well, the number of dog attacks didn't change really one way or the other. So it didn't do any good. Now Miami-Dade is doing the same thing. The last major city in America to have a pit bull ban. And hooray! 
that ban is going to disappear. We'll talk to you next week bright and early right here on WGN.